The Tennessee Conservative's Brandon Lewis was a guest of the Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow the Indie Thinker at IndieThinker.org and YouTube.com forward slash IndieThinker. And listen in to the Indie Thinker podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It is time, uh, now that we have been able to sit as parents during COVID, as our children were sent home needlessly, and we began to view the curriculum and to see uh, what they weren't being taught and what they were, uh, now is the perfect time in American history to be asking for educational alternatives, uh, given the amount that we invest at the state level. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. All right, welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. Today is a very, very special episode. Before we jump into that, just want to say, make sure to like, subscribe, and share. We're going to be talking about some really amazing, life-changing things potentially today, and I want to make sure that you share this with as many people as possible. So let me set up the episode, and then I'll kind of give a little bit more background. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about school choice. So I've got with me a couple of friends to do that. Uh, we've got the founder of the Tennessee Conservative, Brandon Lewis. Thanks for being here, man. Glad to be here in great company. Yeah. Yeah. So Brandon was on before and um, part of being the founder of the Tennessee Conservative, among other things, is that Brandon also has a lot of uh, background with grassroots political uh, issues and one of the things he's very passionate about and very informed about is school choice. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. School choice is something that I would hope would garner kind of some um, some uh, acceptance across the political aisle. I think when we truly understand what school choice is, unless there's an outside agenda that um, there are certain people that uh, wish to promote. I would I would think that um, if you have the best interest interest of kids in mind, this is a loaded statement. If you have the best interest of students and kids and their education, school choice is a logical decision. But to defend that, that's ultimately what we're gonna want to jump into today. But let me also introduce the uh, the state director for Tennessee of Blexit to my left, my friend Dom Luker. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? It's an honor to be here. Yeah, good to good to be here with you, fellas, and stick that right under your lips if okay. you don't mind just because the closer it gets the you got to get as close as Barry Watt over there but you really got to make <laughs> love to that thing Valentine's Day here's around the corner ladies um, alright so that said um, I want to I want to just say this and then we'll jump into kind of the conversation um I believe that small tremors create big earthquakes. And so this is a small policy. Um, at the end of the day, we're after ideas here at IndieThinker. I'm, I'm an idealist in the sense that, not that I'm optimistic or idealistic, but I'm an idealist in that ideas have power. Um, and so I discuss ideas here at IndieThinker when we do our news show or whether we do our guest show and, um, and good music too. Um, but, uh, but, uh, uh, but the ideas that we're going to be discussing today, I think will, are really, really, um, important. So, uh, I'll just also preface by saying this, um, school choice and schools took such a prominent role in the Virginia election that we just recently saw. Um, and Youngkin, uh, among others were just sworn in in Virginia now and immediately his first day in office, he went in, uh, 
made good on some of the promises that he made in his campaign in terms of uh, things about critical race theory, masking for kids, and various other things. Um, suffice to say, one of the big subjects of conversation, and, and in my opinion, the thing that made McAuliffe lose the election in Virginia was that he made the audacious statement that the state is the one that's interested in your kid's education rather than that it is parents mm -hmm. that are interested in your kid's education. And um, that created an emotional knee-jerk reaction, as it should have, um, from parents because the state doesn't know my kid's name. The state doesn't know where my kids go to school. The state doesn't know um, – really, they, they don't know when my kid's birthday is except if they maybe look it up on a database. They don't care about my kids. I care about my kids, and it's my job to take care of my kids. So that said, um, education, as it should be, is starting to come back into the focus here, especially with parents in their – and their purview in terms of things that are really, really important. So um, I think then this is a great time for us to have the conversation of school choice. So, so Brandon, since we're going to be asking you about kind of your background and stuff with school choice and what we need to know about school choice, and then also, I forgot to mention this up front, we've got some friends with us who are going to be asking, who are joining us live via um, our Zoom conference. They're going to be asking questions about school choice and how they can, if they want to get behind school choice, how they can implement that in their own backyard. Um, so uh, before we get into the weeds of school choice, Brandon, why is school choice something that's so important to you and something that you're so passionate about? Well, the first thing is, <clears throat> you know, I grew up with a father that could not read or write, and we lived in an old sawmill slat house with unpainted wafer board ceilings, threadbare carpet, one sink in the kitchen that belched old well water. And as you watched your father try to raise you uh, without having the ability to read— you really notice how important education is. And luckily, um, he knew that that was critically important as the last of 13 kids. And uh, he made sure I got on the school bus every morning. Uh, but we are in the state of Tennessee, and I imagine to a large degree uh, where our Blexit friends are joining us from in South Carolina and Missouri, uh, we are graduating a uh, large population of functionally illiterate children that turn into adults, and it has uh, a huge impact on our economy, the criminal justice system, uh, and the emotional and mental and spiritual health of children, and it is time, uh, now that we have been able to sit as parents during COVID, as our children were sent home needlessly, and we began to view the curriculum and to see uh, what they weren't being taught and what they were, uh, now is the perfect time in American history to be asking for educational alternatives, uh, given the amount that we invest at the state level. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's great. I love that uh, in terms of your personal story, because I actually read that uh, this week, I think sometime uh, about about your dad and him being illiterate. Um, and yeah, so I think the the attitude and the necessity is more apparent than it has been. It's not more important, but it's more apparent than it has been. Okay, so let's just talk about let's start with the basics and we'll go further. What is school choice? So school choice has a uh, multitude of methodologies by which it, it is discussed. So you have the kind of school choice that I hate, which is you can now pick your government school to go to. Uh, and there are various degrees of, of ways that you can get into that. Charter schools, you can move to different schools. And that's all well and good, but typically in most cases, like in Tennessee, uh, it's like 
you can go to this awful restaurant with a 32% health rating, or you can go to this one with a 43% health rating, and that's what they call school choice. Another form of school choice is voucher, uh, which means that you can take it to an educational uh, institution if it's approved. Uh, you have educational savings accounts, and I would be all for, in many cases, just a straight-up uh, unfettered tax rebate. If 50% uh, plus of state dollars goes into education, and if you're not utilizing it uh, because you're homeschooling or private school, uh, I think you should just be able to, to get a percentage of your tax um, payments back, whether it be in sales tax or, in my case, business tax or property tax, and uh, send your child to the, to the school of your choice. Mm-hmm. And then why um... – why are there people who are against this in your mind? Now, I know this means you have to crawl into the minds of other people and we have to speculate a bit, a little bit. So as much as possible, we don't want a straw man. But why are there people that would be resistant to putting the parents in a place of having the decision making of where they go to school? Because at the end of the day, I mean, this is the thing that keeps on becoming apparent to me is that like or we're reminded of anyway, is that. Your tax dollars are the ones who are paying these parents. Shouldn't you have the choice as to where then your kids go to school and who who are teaching your kids since this is stuff that you're paying for? So why, what do you think are some of like the, the, the main objections to people who don't want school choice? So the number one objection, and it's not an ideological one, is the fact that it is the state of Tennessee, South Carolina, Missouri's largest government job factory. Mm-hmm. Now, that can't be overlooked. Yeah. Uh, When you've got the largest population of government employees, and they're in every community, and uh, in many cases, uh, the role of educator, and I may get in trouble here, has been sanctified uh, as if that is like a role in a profession that that can't be touched, uh, regardless of performance outcomes, Mm -hmm. uh, regardless of uh, government waste or abuse. So there's that part, and and and. There's an echo chamber both in the media and in politics because those educator uh, unions, um, the NEA, uh, which has tons of members in Tennessee, South Carolina, Missouri, recently uh, moved forward with their push to put critical race theory in all classes, which should again uh, probably tell you that government unions in general are a bad idea and Mm -hmm. typically lead to bad places they have historically and so that's the one part of it, which is there's just tons of money being made, either being employed by or being a vendor to the government. And so, any time so, there's a lot of money attached to something, people get up in arms. Okay, so so that's that's the, uh, to me the the thing that first comes to mind. If if I were to take a guess, like a wild stab in the dark, is that there are invested interests that don't want to change. So. Is it a matter of just, you know, like riding the Titanic and them not wanting to turn the ship around just because the things that things have been going into motion just as they have and it takes a lot to change? Or is it that there is school unions that are really behind the scenes that are really controlling what takes place with our tax dollars and how those tax dollars are spent? So is this a union issue that's keeping these things from taking place? Well, there's a union issue that's part of it, but government generally speaking, very quickly becomes Mm self-serving, and it exists for its own sake. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to go to the DMV. Nobody wants to go to a government-run restaurant. Nobody wants to buy government-made clothing. Nobody wants government cheese. Nobody wants (laughs) government-damned anything because it always sucks. And the more complicated it is, the more it sucks. Mm -hmm. Think about building roads. Black substance on ground. Mm. 
takes forever. Mm-hmm. Always two dudes propped up on a shovel and like a half a dude working in a hole because <laughs> it's government, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just not very good at anything. And so typically you want to reserve government for doing only the things that government can do, you know, defense, criminal justice, a handful of things. But instead, we decided a long time ago, uh, we're not going to let education be done in a community environment as it used to be when people would hire a teacher in a schoolhouse out in rural America, which is primarily when we were agrarian, how it happened. Uh, now we're going to we're going to turn it into a government ran program. And it just all went downhill from there. Mm-hmm. OK, so uh, were you going to say a second thing because you were talking about uh, money, wherever money is mm-hmm. involved? Is there a second reason that uh, that perhaps school choice doesn't get implemented? So the second reason, which is probably the first reason you're going after, which is never the one I will give you, is is probably just good old political tribalism. Uh-huh. And there are certain sacred cows on both sides of the aisle, and public education, uh, or in my case, I would say liberal indoctrination, which is largely what it's turned into, uh, it is something that whenever you talk about it, instead of even the moment you mention the word choice, mm-hmm. if it is not just dumping more money into the government schools, everyone who is on the left side of the aisle jumps up and down. Oh, we'll ruin public education if we take money out of it. All oh, the ones that are left behind will be left even further. Oh, we can't do it. We can't do it. None, you know, not really looking at the numbers, which I hope we have a chance to go through uh, mm-hmm. here in Tennessee, and I don't know how uh, South Carolina and Missouri would compare. Uh, they always say it's about the kids, but when you start talking about the performance metrics for the kids, they never seem very interesting, interested rather in discussing those. Okay, so let's just deal with that for just a minute. Is uh, If school choice was implemented, what that does is that that totally empties out schools that are underperforming rather than to help them perform. So um, is that a valid concern? Because I, I would, I'll just go ahead and say I would lean towards the idea that if a school is underperforming, then it probably deserves not to be running. So to me, performing is a verb, and it is applied to a kid. Mm-hmm. So when you say underperforming, that means the kid's future is being ruined. Mm-hmm. If you had a kid in a cage full of lions and it was constantly being scratched and maimed, you don't have conversations about, well, could we move the lines over? Could we put some padding on the lines? Could we could we file down the teeth of the lions? Could we feed the lions more? Maybe we wouldn't eat as many kids. Get the damn kid out of the lion cage. Yeah. Who cares what happens to the cage? Who cares what happens to the zookeeper? Yeah. It, if it is truly about the kids, then that should be the primary focus, but rarely will you find that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, so that's I guess that's the point is just right. If we say we're going to put kids first in their education first, then school choice sure seems to be the logical conclusion there. Um, OK, but let's just go one step further, because here's the thing. If school choice happens this way. So your tax dollars are in like a some type of savings account or something like that. And those tax dollars have to go to education towards your kid rather than the government doling out that money where, where it wants to based upon districts. Um, and so you have the choice to put your kids in a school. Like, um, unless something drastically changes, uh, who is going to choose to put their kid in a public school? Isn't that just going to, like, overrun the private schools with, with people who are now in public school? I don't think it would overrun them any more than uh, any more than people who want to eat would overrun restaurants if mm-hmm. the government didn't feed them. Like you can go right out here on the side of the road, drive up and down the road here. There's probably a hundred restaurants. <laughs> the government didn't have to do anything to make that happen. Yeah. That's the beauty of the free market. 
And so to me, and this is kind of a, a drastic thing, I think if you just I, I think I think if you did a Marvel what if moment mm-hmm. The old 1960s comic book, not the crap they have out today, <laughs> but the old what if comic book for you comic book nerds out there. Um, and you just, if, if the schools evaporated and if everybody mm-hmm. just showed up tomorrow and there was no school to go to, and if people started being handed checks, American entrepreneurs would go buy uh, vacant, uh, COVID empty uh, facilities, they'd buy warehouses. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of messy for about 30 days. Then kids would be in a classroom, and it'd be mm-hmm. a little bit messy. And in about 60 days, schools would pop up. <laughs> and in about 90 days, ev- everybody would be learning in some kind of environment. And in about 18 months later, people would have mm-hmm. settled into where they might fit best. Mm-hmm. And I think in 20, I think in no time, uh, you would see performance scores better than what we have. After 40 years of investment in, in public education, the only mm-hmm. thing we know about public education is this. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing that I think we're also seeing with public education is, is that that school choice can solve is that there's this huge debate. And I know we, I know you can say what you want to about it and get, in, and get into it however you wish, but this is kind of a loaded statement. So there's all this conversation now about curriculum and what's being taught in the schools as a result maybe of COVID and kids coming back to, uh, to home and then parents actually seeing for the first time what they're learning in school or just uh, maybe they heard a Zoom conference or something like that or for whatever reason. Uh, there are parents who are really concerned about comprehensive sex education, critical race theory being taught in schools. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, when parents finally talking about correcting itself and the free market correcting itself, what happens when school choice comes on, on the scene is that now we move away from these kind of heated emotional school board meetings where parents show up and demand that this stop being taught or demand that this book be taken out of the library. What you do now is the parent has the actual obligation and the uh, ability to take their kid out of that school mm-hmm. and they can go put them wherever they want to where that crap is not being taught so doesn't that solve that issue of being concerned about curriculum because yeah yeah so so number one that solves that issue that's pretty easy meaning that if, if there's some communist school in your area you just wouldn't send your kid there and the people who liked it would send their kids there and it'd be great and they could teach them there's five fifteen thousand genders they could teach them god knows what and maybe that'd be all well and good and they grow up uh, well adjusted both socially and spiritually i tend to disagree (laughs) but the things that are in in our state as in many southern states it's what's not being taught and in tennessee 5.6 billion is spent in education only 53 percent of it makes it to the classroom. Uh, we spend $11,200 per student, which means only about six grand makes it to the classroom. The rest of it's just eaten up in, yeah. in bureaucracy, which is what the government does. You give them a dollar, they give you back a dime at every time. Here's some great numbers. 3.3% master reading. Mm-hmm. 3.3. Only 25% are on track. That's insane. In, in reading. Uh, in math, 7.6. Master math, mm-hmm. 7.6. Only 21% are on track, and 5.6 master science, and only 33% are at grade level or on track. And this is by the time they graduate? This is this is current real-time numbers from the 2021 TCAS oh, course. Okay. okay, gotcha. It is abysmal. It is terrible. I mean, you could almost dump a kid in, into like a bunch of foam letters, and maybe they'd come out learning how to read mm. versus sending them you know for hours on end uh to this place and and for example 
my child goes to a private school where academic scores are excellent, and they only spend $6,000 a kid. Mm. And so even if you gave your kid in Tennessee half the money and you had to ante up a little bit, most parents would opt for that, but there would also be uh, lower-cost school alternatives that I'm sure would show up. For example, at our school, we got one principal lady and a bunch of teachers and a couple of half-time admins, and that's all yeah. you need. You don't need a vice principal and a vice vice principal and a director of emotional learning and mm. and you know. I mean, just you can educate kids very very cheaply. So you're saying the government wastes money? Is oh that, God, yeah. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> they waste money just thinking about wasting money. Just <laughs> so they're rearranging decks on the or deck chairs on the Titanic in order to try. Because this is the thing I keep on hearing, right? Is that we just need to we need to fund schools more? You know, if they're having these problems, well, then well, that, that's because of these underfunded schools and these uh, maybe rural areas or maybe inner city areas. They just don't have enough to pay their teachers, and they don't have enough resources to really get the. But the interesting thing about this, and I heard Vody Bakum say this, who's a, a Christian theologian, he's like, it's funny because they never have any issues paying for the football team and making sure that they get the equipment that they need. Uh, and he was referencing kind of like a school board thing where people were like, "How there's no money in the art for the arts in this yeah. school. It's like, yeah, but they have money for the football team every single year. Mm. So, um, so, so you're saying you can't just throw money at a problem and fix it, Brandon? Sadly, no. They've been trying it for 40 years, and it goes up every year. That's the thing, though. And yeah. it, it goes up every year past the point of inflation. It's not that more money has not been spent. It's that it started out bad and it just got worse. Mm. Yeah, and then could, there's a there's a stat there where you said how much money uh, is uh, I think on an annual basis in the school. It's eleven thousand two hundred dollars per student. And one one thing I hate, and they probably do this in South Carolina and Missouri as well, they always cite how much money you spend per pupil as if it's a bad thing. Like for mm -hmm. example, I think uh, Tennessee spends the uh, like they're the forty fifth state right well we're also like the 45th state for cost of living mm -hmm. mm. well no crap what goes into education wages materials it's so wherever you are your your, your spending is probably going to be proportional to the cost of living now, but even if you wanted to like there are all kinds of schools here that have tuition that are far less than eleven thousand two hundred dollars yeah, that you can send say. your child to that's insane think about what you could do with eleven thousand is that that's annual right yeah per so, kid so per kid annually eleven thousand mm -hmm. so a hypothetically school choice would be that money goes to the parent and they get to spend that annually wherever they want to yeah for me for example I could send almost two kids to the school. Well, I could too. Like I could call up a neighbor. Hey, what's your kid? We got money left over. Won't you mm. come over here too? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we just, I mean, it's just, that's how wasteful the government is in Tennessee. Oh, that's insane. That's insane. Okay. So I, I don't, I don't want to go too quick, but I want to move to the, to the moneymaker here. Um, is there anything else that I'm missing that we need to know about school choice that, that is important? I can't think of anything right now. Uh, I do know that in our legislature, uh, we should see a, a plethora of bills in and around this, and of course they're redoing the BEP formula, which which is basic education uh, funding formula uh, in Tennessee. And if it's anything like everything else they do, they they rearrange the money. They come up with all these program names that sound great. They've trot out a bunch of press releases. They make a bunch of new administrative positions, and then the mm -hmm. scores get worse. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's usually what happens. So I'm not so uh, confident that the BEP formula is going to do anything, but there are some school choice bills 
uh, that should be rolling through education committees, um, mm-hmm. I hope, very soon. All right. So I'm going to say something that may sound a little bit callous, but it's certainly not intended to because I am such a warm and fuzzy loving human being. Um, but I was at a school board meeting just recently and they were talking about centers. They were talking about investing money in centers to try to help children sign up for uh, welfare and to try to help them get on food stamps if their families were in need. Now, while I think that that might be a noble effort just to feed families, especially if they're poor, and to try to help them in their need and all of that stuff. I'm, I'm slamming my head against the wall when I hear performance numbers about how the school is actually doing in the things that it's supposed to be doing. And then they're investing all these money in these kind of social services within the school system, totally taking away attention from the things that they should be focusing on that they're already not doing a great job on. So this is like, this is the prosperity of our age. There's they suck at this, and then they're continuing to build other things on top of that so that they could suck at these things as well. Um, so it just seems to be that like, what we're seeing right now is a system that is has no checks and balances, has no accountability, that continues to grow year on year after year after year, that continues to suck up money that is not performing any better per per dollar that is spent in the school system. So it's just it was mind blowing to me to see kind of like how they've gotten bored with the thing that they're not good at and are moving on to all these other things, um, taking away from the one thing that they should be focusing on. And I can't help but wonder if the issue here, even just let's push school choice to the side, the issue here is just a c- extreme lack of accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I'd say about this, and then you can respond if you want, is um, I have heard from the mouth of people at the school board during this whole COVID season and during this time where it seems in vogue more than ever to show up at the school board and to show how mad you are and all that kind of stuff. Um, For them, for school board officials to say, well, now all of a sudden you care. Um, And they really don't want people to care, right? Because they don't want people to show up at the school board. They want to keep on doing the things that they've always been doing. Um, but, uh, But the point is well taken is that Parents have had their hands off of the school system, just stuck their kids on buses, mm. hoped that, hoped for the best, you know, kicked them out there in the deep end and hoped that everything would turn out well. And we see, at least in our state, and maybe these other guys from different areas who are joining us here today would say the same about their state. It's the, the, uh, the experiment isn't working. Dom, jump in here. You're talking my ear off. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I, I truly do believe that just this country as a whole, we've pretty much forgot our roots of being self-sustainability. Hmm. Uh, we've yeah, individual pushed responsibility, the people yeah. itself. You know, we used to have a camaraderie, if you look back in the past of the 50s and things, of neighbors knocking on each other's doors before going to the grocery store. It was more likely to borrow from your neighbor uh, to save some money, or before they made investments, they would have investment parties. That goes back into the school system. They were very uh, involved into their children's education. Mm. And even parents running for school boards, it was way more frequent. Now the people running for school boards, there's, I found out there's a lot of the people that's running for school boards in these positions aren't even parents. Mm. And um, it's completely, we've completely run off the rails yeah. from where we came from. Yeah, it could be that that's uh, like a step right into the political realm. Like yeah. You get on your school board. Well, the government, it seems like they wanted an excuse to make more government. You know, mm-hmm. They'll tell us just to put it in their hands, but once we do, they'll say, well, now that it's in our hands, it's a little bit bigger than what we thought it was before, so give us some more money. Let's implement more government, go back to what you say, and not much really happened, but we see things decrease, mm-hmm. opposed to an increasement. Yeah, and I have a soapbox about welfare and food stamps because my entire family was in and around, and in many cases still are, uh, that 
soul-stealing, self-esteem-crushing, mm. from-the-devil-dependence that makes a man idle. And we know what happens with idle hands. And I've watched cousins uh, and friends and people I grew up with down in Dog Holler and in Marion County and other places, and they're dead at Is 40. Is Dog Holler a real place? That's what they called the place where I live, Dog <laughs> okay. Holler. They dropped the dogs off over there. I don't know why. It's like if you had a stray dog, you come drop them off in our neighborhood. And, um, you know, I watched them go from uh, very able-bodied young men who could have provided for a family uh, to hooked on what we call the Alabama lottery, which is mm. uh, disability and food stamps. And oh, wow. and then, you know, next thing you know, one of them's dead and half a trailer. Mm-hmm. And the other half burned down. He was still living in it. And one of them's living with his grandmother. And it's just mm. a mess. And um, it, it, it has hurt more people than it has helped. And the fact that a school that can't, a school system that can't teach people how to be employable would instead teach them mm-hmm. how to be dependent mm-hmm. is, if it ain't from the devil, he's got his hands on it. Well, this is a rant for another day, but perhaps possibly too, the blame here is we're going to try to get kids at least where they can graduate and then get into college because we're just trying to yeah. funnel them into college. And there's a there's an increasing skepticism, and I'm glad for it with that. Even though I've got my master's degree, I'm glad I did, and I loved college, and it helped me develop a lot. But, uh, but maybe that belief has just kind of shirked even further responsibility and just said, let's get them sufficient enough to get into college uh-huh. where they'll actually really, like, learn stuff. I don't think we're getting them anywhere close to getting college, unless it's just a continuation of... Mm. Yeah, And I've got people that I've helped uh, apply for scholarships, people that I know, and they will text or write me, and in my correspondence to assist them, I'm like, I can't believe you graduated. Yeah, I can't believe a teacher would let you out of school Mm. with this level of writing and speaking skills. I would have been, they would have failed me. Yeah, They would have failed me. Mr. Ledbetter or Mrs. Quarles would have hauled me out in the hall and said, you can do better than this, or I'm not taking this to whatever. Now we just... We just push them on yeah. to the next to the next grade, and, and they're yeah. lacking all the skills, as is evidenced by these scores that Tennessee kicks out. And they're always talking about, like you said, some kind of secondary or tertiary item when the things that really matter, they, they can't even do. Yeah. Spend an hour on TikTok, and it'll really get you depressed. So um, since we're not going to do that now, let's just talk about the final thing. If we believe school choice, the potential for... Uh, taking the money that right now is being invested per kid and putting that back into the parents' hands, giving them the opportunity to put their child's education and their child's future in their hands and their opportunity to choose if we feel like that's the best pathway. I still have some questions about why we think that hasn't happened yet, but but nonetheless, um, if that's the right pathway for our community, how can we do something about it? Let's just say... um, little old Mary Sue, I have two kids, elementary school, and I'm starting to see some issues even in my elementary school. I'm starting to see books even that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, school choice is is right for my kids. It makes sense. The government sucks at everything. Uh, Mary Sue wouldn't say that. She's way too sweet. But look, So <laughs> Reed's stuck in there for a minute. But what can I do to start the ball rolling to make that an option, to, to change things in, in my area? So I think the first thing you have to do is get your kids out of the school by whatever means necessary today. Okay. Mm. So that's that's step number one, and not everybody can do that, but if you can avail yourself of it, if you are a two-job working family and you've got to go down to a one-job working family where mom or dad can stay at home and teach those little darlings, 
do it. If you got to get a second job and you got to uh, quit spending money to get some tuition to send them to a, a small Christian school or a uh, homeschool cooperative or whatever, mm. the first thing is get them out of the lion's den, even if that means a diminished quality of life for you and your spouse. Or if you're yeah. single and can pull it off, it'd be a tough thing to do. But if you can... Uh, Let me throw something in there and just say my private school where my two boys go, they have scholarships. So mm-hmm. it helps for those who uh, families who can't afford uh, the normal tuition. So there could be options like that yes. for those families. By all means, look at all that stuff. But, I mean, the first thing is, like, take it on yourself. After that, um, you know, the first rule in politics, and I would say this direct this directly to the folks that are in the Blexit chapters, uh, the first rule of politics is build the list. And I would be doing school choice petitions, surveys, social media, town halls, you name it. I've often thought one of the best things to do would be to go around, and somebody's actually doing this. Um, I think they recently did this. I can't remember the school. Uh, is it Brown? Whatever the one's over there by Rossville Boulevard. I can't remember whichever one that is. Anyway, and they're handing out uh, flyers about the test scores at their kid's school where these numbers are not 25% on track. Mm-hmm. It's 9% on track, and it's one. It's like 0.5% are mastering reading in these oh, inner city ha- schools. Is it Howard? Howard. Yeah. Oh and um, they're handing that out, and I would I would attach to it a, an 11, mm-hmm. a, a blank $11,000 check and said, if you'd like to learn how to send your kid uh, to the school of your choice— Come to this meeting, yeah. and these are the test scores of the school that you're in presently. And I'd start signing those people up. I'd start email lists. I'd inform parents about how their schools are scoring, uh, I'd, and I'd drive them into some kind of action. There are organizations like Americans in our in our state, Americans for Prosperity, Moms for Liberty, uh, Tennessee Stands, that are going to be working on this. Get on their list, and when they ask you to go up to Nashville or whatever the capital of South Carolina or Missouri is because I was educated in public schools in Alabama. I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, Should have memorized that. But uh, I would go up to your state capital. I'd dress up, uh, and I would come with statistics from your district, uh, your personal story, and ask that school uh, choice legislation be passed. And Blexit, in closing on this in particular, I think has the ability to do something with this that old white people can't do. It, it is just a much more powerful story, similar yeah. to the vein of Moms for Liberty. It's a it's a, a group of folks that typically uh, mothers are not known to be very politically active. The only thing that comes to mind is mothers against drunk driving. Aside from that, I don't rem- and maybe the pro life movement. They're not very active, mm. and 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 the black community typically has not been remarkably active in the school choice movement. It's been exactly the opposite, mm-hmm. and it has not served their community where, uh, well to stay on the sidelines on those items. Yes, uh, any more than it does poor white kids out in rural goat fart Tennessee. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to get up there and tell your story and make it about the kids. And, and, and you know, if it's not a hard-charging, uh, the government sucks uh, motto, which is the way that I'd approach it, which is not as effective, it's look at how bad my kids are suffering and look mm-hmm. at how bad our community is suffering. We need out of here. Yeah, I think I would give in, and maybe you have something to say about this too, Dylan, but I, I think I would give the the Democrat person, the person on the left, the the ground that there may be historical reverberations as a result of redlining in the United States, where ultimately people got shoved into these poor communities. And as a result of that, then Mm -hmm. generational poverty kicks in, whatnot. And you're in these places where these schools are not performing very well. And then it's, it's possible that these families kind of just get locked into this this system of these schools that don't, schools don't perform well and then these kind of systems of poverty, okay? Mm-hmm. So the answer to that 
is school choice in 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 my estimation but it's so interesting to me that the party that says that they're for black people the most the democratic party is so anti-school choice because they're so big government that they're actually disservicing um, minority communities who could really, really benefit from school choice. And this is why I'm glad we've got Blexit chapters, chapters with us today, because if you guys care about your kids, you care about inner city, you care about poor communities, you care about black communities, you mm-hmm. care about um, you, whatever community you're a part of, and you see that the education system is not working, well, then we need to fight against whatever is standing in the way from actually school choice becoming a reality. So, Dom, you got anything before we jump into questions? Yeah, uh, definitely. The Democratic Party, they don't benefit from educated black Americans at all. They benefit from uneducated black Americans. That's why majority of the history that they push is hyperboles or, you know, anything that's easily and baseless. Yeah. Majority of it is just emotional politics, and they are trying to push us on getting educated on emotions. They'll tell black people even in school to learn more about their history than even mathematics and the English at times. And I feel like, yes, our history is important, but just I'm here to say it, it's not more relevant than math. Mm. It's not going to have you more successful than us. So, you know, someone have their math or their English. Nor, neither would it be for anyone that's white. Knowing your history won't make you any yeah. more successful. And it is important. But I think just the emphasis on what the Democratic Party has done is just identity and culture. Yes, it's important, but it's a little too important. And mm-hmm. I think they definitely don't want us to be educated. Uh, once we start to learn of our history, we find out they're the same enemy. You know, They're the ones who created it. The KKK and it's the first congressmen were Republicans and things like that. You will find as soon as you get educated. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's take a moment, and hopefully you guys have uh, kind of thought about some questions that you may have, uh, some things that we brought up here um, in our time uh, discussing, maybe questions about how to take next step if you believe that you want to enact some type of change, um, some policy change with schools in your in your district. So um, uh, if you would for me, I'm, I'm going to, uh, we'll take just a moment, give you a moment to think, but if you would for me, if you would just raise your hand and then I'll unmute you um, if you have a question and then um, and then we'll uh, kind of turn that over to Brandon and if any of us can shed any light on that, we will, but ultimately this is going to be you on the hot seat, buddy. I'll do my best. I don't know, you know, you get what you pay for here. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I, that I like to bring up is I, I bring up the statistics from Missouri. Missouri historically, has been behind the curve of everybody. Like, for example, the state of Missouri is ranked 49th nationally in school funding. Wow. The the state auditor of Missouri two years ago set the cost per student of $6,375 per student. Kansas City School District itself spends over, on average, $14,000 per student. Wow. Okay. St. Louis public schools do essentially the same thing. But here's the problem in St. Louis public schools who get 241 million taxpayer dollars annually, only 22% of their students in K through 12 are reading at or above their, their proficiency, their grade level, 22%. You had a point where in St. Louis, that it actually was not even an accredited school is that essentially if you were graduating from St. Louis public schools, colleges weren't looking at you because of the wow. fact that, that you didn't have accreditation, mm-hmm. the state had taken it over on multiple occasions. And, and that's one of the things that we emphasize here in Missouri is that school choice is important. My, my colleague, Jamie, she 
is in is in the area of Southwest Missouri, which has some of the highest proficient, has some of the most proficient schools in the state. And conversely, on my side of the state, on the eastern side of the state, we have some of the most underperforming. And the sad part of it is, is that they're the most economically disadvantaged and the minority. If you look at, <laughs> if you went on the, on the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education website for Missouri, and you looked at the most underperforming districts, you're going to see them in minority areas, yeah, like St. Louis Public, Riverview Gardens. Um, one school district that a lot of people may know of because of the Michael Brown situation, Normandy School District, Ferguson Florissant, all of those school districts are academically underperforming. Their proficiency mm-hmm. levels are there because the teachers unions have jumped in and they've decided that regardless of, of these students, they do it as, as what I've referred to it as, as an assembly line. They basically put a piece on at first grade, whether it fits or not, move them on to the next line of assembly, which is second grade and so on and so forth. Whether the piece fits or not, you're just doing it because as long as those kids are in a classroom, by a, at 11.59 a.m., when it hits noon, they get full state and federal funding. So they could care less yeah. the rest of the day. They phone it in. And I've seen that. When, when I was a former candidate for office and I would visit school districts and I saw that, it's a sad thing. And, and one of the great things now with, with Blexit is that we do get to talk more actively on that. I get to have a greater role in the say of things like that. And, and, I, and I applaud my, my, fellow, my fellow leaders like Dom, who I learned so much for since I became a, a state director, <laughs> that, that, we are, that we're building something for everyone. We get to, we get to talk, talk the tough issues that the right or the left won't talk about. Yeah. If, if the right doesn't talk about it enough, we're racist. If the left talks about it too much, they're trying to buy votes, literally. We, we've had the opportunity to talk about things like the abomination that's called critical race theory. We talk about the great things that when you tell a child that if you're white, you were born to oppress people. If you're black, you were, you were born to be oppressed. This is not something that, that a free thinking people would subscribe to. This is not something that we can continue to have. Dom said it best. As long as we have an under a low information minority voter thinker, they're going to be led anywhere they want to. Mm-hmm. They if they don't stand for yeah, there's something, an incentive. they fall for mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. So what are you guys doing, Martin, and in your area for school choice? If you feel like this is a good viable option for you guys, well, again, we we are we are we are actually going in. We are we are helping people learn. Here here's a magnet school. Here's a here's a here's a charter school. Let's talk about those options. We actually had in the state of Missouri, we have something that was passed last year, which was House Bill 348, if my memory serves me correct, where it essentially what it does is that it passed, I'm sorry, it was House Bill 349, where we, we will have what's called the Missouri Empowerment Scholarship Account, which allows residents to receive a tax credit for basically pulling their children out of underperforming school districts wow. and sending them to those districts. And we helped, and this is before I even joined Blexit, we were helping to lobby for that. And we got yeah. that passed last year. Mm. Well, that's great. Well, yeah. I would get I would get down there again. I mean, I'm telling you what, the solution to a lot of this stuff, almost all of it, um, is to go to the state house. Mm. I mean, you can 
you can move things around a little bit in your school board meetings, and this is just mean. I think you should do it. I think you should give them heartburn. I think you should aggravate them every chance you can. And I think you should put new uh, people on school boards and get rid of bad ones. But, buddy, all the authority for those local governing school boards comes at the state house. And so if you go up to the state house and if you get the legislation changed, doesn't matter what the school board wants. School board becomes obsolete. If, if it's passed at the state house level and that's why i focus all my attention up in nashville for that reason and uh and it's funny you mentioned about the uh, about the kids and the, the the kids who need school choice the most are the ones that are hurt the most by the democrats not allowing that to happen and then i bet when the state took over your underperforming schools they just perked right up and those scores just lifted to the <laughs> yeah. ceiling didn't they sadly the the school the the the, the number stayed stay, stay the same when the state took over in fact it got worse yeah ours got worse too if you don't hey if you're not careful we're gonna take you over yeah. we better be careful we're coming there and clean house oh it's except that it's worse when we do that yeah so they, they, they actually wanted them to take over the, the 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 unions wanted them to take over mm. they wanted to take that local control of mm. school districts away from the from those those teachers unions mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad you i'm glad you said that martin because here's the the other thing that i was going to mention which i think probably deserves to be to be stated um we can experience wins like what you guys did in Missouri, and then we can say, "Hey, well, we got that win." But that's, but that's still um, not as much heartburn as they probably deserve, uh, because we need to not be so satisfied. Especially, I think Republicans are typically really satisfied with little wins because we win yeah. so little. We're so used to <laughs> so losing absolutely. that whenever we have, so whenever we have little wins, we just <laughs> sit, we're just like, hey, we won that one yeah, little yeah. battle. Uh, but uh, but there's a war, and and I do think that we need not be satisfied until we finally see school choice as the um, as the policy where there's money in our hands being. Uh, where we have the choice to be able to to put that into the school where we believe our kids should go because the because as great as magnet schools are and charter schools uh the way that those things run now is that you get in there sometimes simply by lottery or simply by the school um uh by the school's process but that that still doesn't give uh the power to the parent necessary because if they don't win in that random lottery then they have to go back to the public school where what a joke yeah hey if you get now, listen. If you win this education lottery, maybe your kid won't go to a sucky school. It's a lottery. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's a random chance. Lottery is typically like you get lucky if you win. It's not like you win every time, and it's not like it, it, it's it's just awful that the education is so bad that they have to have random chances of success occasionally fall on somebody that's when you know that, that the thing i would love to be able to drive down the road one day with my grandchildren and go oh look well what's that granddaddy that's what they used to call a public school <laughs> they don't have those anymore because they didn't work and in tennessee we don't have them anymore people just get their money and they send them to wherever mm-hmm. it would be a great thing I, I was gonna say i feel like a lot of the reason why the government is refusing to really implement school choice because they'll say to people that's we would claim that should be against it aren't advocating against it mm-hmm. and i think that's one of their benefits that they do have because they don't see enough minorities they don't see enough races that are advocating for these things they might just say it's another problem of the white man because yeah. that's what they've been labeling everything as it's not like it's an american problem they'll say it's a white problem and i just think we do need more faces out there so 100 break that narrative that's most of their strength well with that being said jamie <laughs> that's kind of a joke but uh, <laughs> <laughs> jamie do you got anything that you that you wanted to ask um, a lot of the questions you already kind of answered because I had a list of 
the ones that you kind of already brought up. Um, thank you for putting this together. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of having a credit. I've got two boys in school right now that um, it'd be really nice to be able to find something that fits them a little bit better than um, the small school that we're currently in because all of the sports programs are based on what the school board wants their kids to do. So they don't ask, they just do. Um, so we don't have a whole lot of choices. Um, I think having that option would also help the teachers pay um, school meal quality. I mean, there's no quality to the meals they get right now. Um, also, they could have Bible history versus um, Greek God history, which is, yeah. you know, my one with, you know, the Greek gods, the whole thing on Greek gods. Mm. And I was like, you can't learn history from the Bible, but you can learn about this. Mm. Yeah, the thing. Um, so I looked up because this is all new to me. I'm new to Blexit. So I've been trying to, this is why I joined it was so that I could do get off the sidelines, make a difference. Um, in Missouri right now, it looks like we only have five counties and six cities that have school choice. So there's nothing in my area. It's all, you know, in different parts of the state. Um, in Springfield city limits, they do have that lottery system, but we're outside of that. So it doesn't really apply. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm really new to it, but that helps me. Um, I wrote down a lot of notes about, you know, going to the state house, trying to change legislation, things like that. Um, well, and out. one thing you can do that's immediate, reach out. You've got a state representative, you've got a governor, and you've got a state rep uh, or state representative and a state senator, likely. I don't think y'all are unicameral over there. Um, you've got that, and you should email your state representatives, both of them, uh, and everybody on the education committee in your state and say, listen, I want to tell you my story about my two kids and what we're going through. Are y'all going to offer any type of school choice opportunities? Because just imagine, I mean, look, if you got $11,200 per student and whatever it is in Missouri, in, in Tennessee, only 53% of it makes it to the classroom. So if you go to some little school that doesn't have this huge blow to bureaucracy, $8,000 would go just as far. And God, if they gave you 11200 you could send them to one of the best schools in your area. Yeah. And so I think you just have to keep pushing for it in the hopes that – and in some of this stuff we're fighting for today – our kids will never see it, but maybe kids five, six years from now will see it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's I think it's worth doing it, even if even if we can at least point to it and say, well, we did that uh, because it. And one thing I failed to mention today um, is, you know, there's a huge connection between underperforming schools and prison. Um, and yeah. one thing that they talk about all the time on the on the Democrat side is uh, people being disproportionately imprisoned uh, that are of um, of color. And if you look here in the state of Tennessee, uh, women who are admitted to prison read at a third grade level. Oh my God, the women! The women read at a third grade level, and the men read at a first grade level. Yeah, because I was going to say women read better than men. Yeah, so by apparently two I grades in Tennessee <laughs> in the yeah. prison system, and wow, so. What that means is, you know, one of the biggest reasons that people seek lives of crime uh, is because they don't have good prospects for future employment, and it's because 13 of, of their years have been robbed by an unscrupulous government, mm -hmm. and they've turned them out to where they are ideal candidates for every everybody and everything and every situation that would have them turn that way, yeah. which is no different than, than people that grow up like I did in White Trash America. 
where you end up on meth and disability and whatever. If you don't go to drug, if you don't go to jail for armed robbery and violence, you just go to jail for drugs. Yeah. Or doing something goofy when you're on drugs or whatever. And so, um, I don't know. It's just a big mess. It aggravates me, but I'm working. I'm working on it. Yeah. We're working on it here in the state of Tennessee and y'all should, y'all should raise hell about it in your own states. I I can't tell you, this is a little anecdotal, but I can't tell you how good I felt. And this, most of this goes to my wife, um, to know that during the, all of the things that were going on with, with just as simple as forced masking, and then even in some places, not in Tennessee, but in other places, forced COVID vaccinations and critical race theory and con- comprehensive sex education. They're actually teaching elementary school students. I could show you the video how to masturbate mm. uh, and what masturbation is. I couldn't Like t- you got to teach that. <laughs> it comes natural to some people, Brandon. Um, uh, but I could, I cannot tell you the peace of mind it gave me that I was allowed to take my kids to a Christian school every single morning knowing that none of that garbage is going to be in their face. Um, And I had the freedom of knowing that, and I want that freedom for everybody because the biggest excuse is always the money thing. Well, we don't have enough money to do that. And, And let's just paint a hypothetical world here. Let's say you love critical race theory. You believe in white privilege and white people are all oppressors regardless of, of their economic background or their upbringing. And, and you want your kids to know critical race theory. Or let's just go let's soft pedal here. Um, and let's just say, my kids are not learning history, the, the, the full history. They need to be learning the 1619 Project. Like, okay, school choice, hypothetically, gives you the opportunity to send your kids to the morally bankrupt and intellectually bankrupt 1619 Project School if you want to. You can send them to that school now because now you have the choice to do that. Uh, Whereas if I don't want my kid to do that, and I want them to learn Bible like you were saying, Jamie, and I want them to not necessarily be steeped in Greek mythology, but actually maybe learn some Bible history since it does play a prominent role in the history of our world. Um, I have the the choice to be able to do that. That's a freedom that I want for for all parents as, as much as possible. All right, for the sake of time, if there's no other questions... What I'll do is I'll just, uh, we'll kind of close out our time here today, and I just want to say thank you, uh, Blexit Chapters, for joining us here today. Uh, thank you, Dom, for, for putting this all together, honestly. Uh, tonight Today probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for you, so thank you, man. I do believe that uh, there was some good information given here today. Hopefully it was beneficial to everybody that listened, beneficial to you guys who are watching after the fact. You can make a difference in uh, the future by reaching and impacting our kids. So they are our most precious resource, and I hope that uh, we've pled the case today here for uh, school choice. Um, And then lastly, I'll just say thank you, Brandon, um, for for being here and uh, lending us your expertise for just a little bit and your passion on this subject. It was borrowed from other people. Uh, I did did not invent it. I just report it and synthesize it uh, in our publication. But I appreciate all of you, and I I do believe in my heart of hearts that if Blexit will get really involved in the school choice movement doesn't mean you have to invent it from scratch there's all kinds of people you can saddle up with that are already headed in in this direction and uh, there is strength in numbers and uh, get your own list together uh, join with other people that are pushing uh, for school choice because I I think that that Blexit is uniquely positioned to have political influence on this but it does mean you know getting organized and getting moving and the sooner the better while the timing is good, and it'll never be better than now. It's currently our initiative 
uh, across Blex in America. Every chapter has to focus on school choice this month. And if I'm correct, March will be CRT. Okay. So we're going pretty hard at education. Uh, from what I know from up top, we're going harder at education this year in comparison to any of the other years. Very good. It needs to happen. That's great. Well, hopefully that will help you guys um, in your approach in in doing that. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for being here and, and asking some questions. And uh, we appreciate you. Don't forget to share, like, subscribe. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for watching. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.